0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuckers Bryant that makes this Stuff You Should Know.
0: I wonder what that sounds like to people who listen to it at double speed. <laughs> it might sound like your normal voice. Right, yeah.
2: You know, that you know, that was my impression of somebody.
0: I'm going to go with Vincent Price. No.
2: Okay. Edgar Oliver. It was a great Edgar Oliver, terrible Vincent Price. Who's Edgar Oliver? Edgar Oliver, he's a storyteller on The Moth. Oh, really? Yeah, and he sounds like exactly like that. You gotta check his stuff out. He's awesome. Is he a horror? Is he like? No. Anything wrong with him? <laughs> nope. Well, yeah. I mean, he talks like that, but other sure. than that, he's, he's, he's an awesome dude. So that was my Edgar Oliver. <laughs> it's pretty good. You go back and <laughs> listen right. now, you'll be like, wow. So I was doing an Edgar Oliver, Chuck, because uh-huh. in T minus like four days, yeah, it's going to be Halloween.
0: One of our favorite days.
2: And mind-blowingly enough, if you're listening to this on Halloween, it's today. Wow. Yeah. See how that works. And last year, um, we did something unusual. So this year we're doing it again, which makes it the usual. Yeah. But it was popular. People liked it. We, we read a great uh, short story last year. Yeah. People actually called for it again
0: and mm-hmm. said, Oh, you're going to do it this year? I think some people might not have liked it, but just skip it then.
2: Yeah. We were like, Does that mean we don't have to study? Okay. Let's do that <laughs> exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. There's one be- in the can that's guaranteed going to. Be at least okay. Yes. So um, this year, Mr. Charles W. Chuck Bryant selected mm-hmm. um, the story, and it is by someone you may or may not have heard of. He's a um, somewhat, you know, well-known writer. His name is Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. and uh, he died in Baltimore, I believe, in the 1840s. Sure. He's one of the great, first great American writers of the 19th century. Slash drug addicts. Big time drug addict. And I think Alcohol. that comes through a lot in this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we've selected a short story. Chuck selected a short story. It's actually, Colin. I gave you a selection. You, you made the final choice. Yeah, uh, but you, you led you, like, me to it. You were like, and... which one of, which one of these would you like? And then you basically <laughs> put this one in my hand. No, actually, I was, I was like,
0: leaning toward, uh, the, the, the crazy, uh, dwarf.
2: That kills the king. Well, what are we reading this one for? Because this one's creepy. Okay, all right. I agreed. Well, uh, do you want to tell them the name of this one? Uh, it's called Berenice.
0: And I'll give you a slight setup just so you know what's going on. Okay. There's a woman called Berenice and a man, uh, and they are cousins and they are married, and things go a little weird in the story. Let's, is that we, enough? Weirder
2: than cousins being married. Yeah, I don't
0: want to give anything away, but I just want you, you know, it's, it's, it's old English. It's not old English, but it's older than it's old. Vernacular. It's old American. Yeah.
2: Um, so uh, before we, we um, lose any more listeners, let's get to it. You want to cue the spooky music?
0: Yeah, but we should also point out that at the end of this episode, we have a very special guest. So...
2: Let's not say who, although if, <laughs> if you listen on Tuesday, you yeah. know.
0: But if you aren't into the reading, just go ahead and skip forward to the uh, special guest and you'll get some delight there.
2: Right. And if you Guaranteed. do that, we apologize in advance. Yes. Either way. All right. So now let's cue the spooky music. Um, okay. That's that's the tone. Let's dim the lights. Okay. And we now present to you Edgar Allan Poe's Berenice. All
0: right, Josh, there's a little quote at the beginning in Latin. Mm-hmm. And in English. I'll read the English. My companion said to me, if I would visit the grave of my friend, I might somewhat alleviate my worries. Reasonable advice. And here we go. Misery is manifold. THE WRETCHEDNESS OF EARTH IS multiform, OVERREACHING THE WIDE HORIZON AS THE RAINBOW, ITS HUES ARE AS VARIOUS AS THE HUES OF THAT ARCH, AS DISTINCT TOO, YET AS INTIMATELY BLENDED, OVERREACHING THE WIDE HORIZON AS THE RAINBOW. HOW IS IT THAT FROM BEAUTY I HAVE DERIVED A TYPE OF UNLOVELINESS, FROM THE COVENANT OF PEACE A simile OF SORROW? BUT AS IN ETHICS, EVIL IS A CONSEQUENCE OF GOOD, SO IN FACT OUT OF JOY IS SORROW BORN. Either the memory of past bliss is the anguish of today, or the agonies which are, have their origin and the ecstasies which might have been.
2: Nice. It sounded like improper English, but that's how he wrote it. And it's not just today, it's today. with it a is. hyphen in between.
0: My baptismal name is Eugeus. that of my family I will not mention. Yet there are no towers in the land more time-honored than my gloomy, gray, hereditary halls. Our line has been called a race of visionaries, and in many striking particulars, in the character of the family mansion, in the frescoes of the chief saloon, in the tapestries of the dormitories, in the chiseling of some buttress in the armory, but more especially in the gallery of antique paintings, in the fashion of the library chamber, and lastly, in the very peculiar nature of the library's contents, there is more than sufficient evidence to warrant the
2: belief. The recollections of my earliest years are connected with that chamber, and with its volumes, of which latter I will say no more. Here died my mother, herein I was born. But it is mere idleness to say that I had not lived before, that the soul has no previous existence. You deny it? Let us not argue the matter. Convince myself I seek not to convince. There is, however, a remembrance of aerial forms, of spiritual and meaning eyes, of sounds, musical yet sad, a remembrance which will not be excluded, a memory like a shadow, vague, variable, indefinite, unsteady, and like a shadow, too, in the impossibility of my getting rid of it while the sunlight of my reason shall exist. In that chamber I was born, thus awaking from the long night of what seemed but was not non-entity, at once into the very regions of fairyland, into a palace of imagination, into the wild dominions of monastic thought and erudition, It is not singular that I gazed around me with a startled and ardent eye, that I loitered away my boyhood in books and dissipated my youth in reverie, but it is singular that as the years rolled away and the noon of manhood found me still in the mansion of my fathers, it is wonderful what stagnation there fell upon the springs of my life, wonderful how total an inversion took place in the character of my commonest thought. The realities of the world affected me as visions and as visions only while the wild ideas of the land of dreams became in turn not the material of my everyday existence, but in very deed that existence utterly and solely in itself.
0: So he's getting a little caught up in his own obsessive thoughts, right? He,
2: he's a bookworm. Okay, He's bookish.
0: So the real world isn't, doesn't even matter to him at this point.
2: <laughs> All right. That's what he thinks of the real world.
0: Onward. Berenice and I were cousins, and we grew up together in my paternal halls, yet differently we grew I ill of health and buried in gloom she agile, graceful and overflowing with energy hers the ramble on the hillside mine the studies of the cloister I living within my own heart an addicted body and soul to the most intense and painful meditation she roaming carelessly through life with no thought of the shadows in her path or the silent flight of the raven-winged hours Berenice I call upon her name Berenice! And <laughs> from the grey ruins of memory a thousand tumultuous recollections are startled at the sound. Ah! Vividly is her image before me now, as in the early days of her light-heartedness and joy. Oh! Gorgeous yet fantastic beauty. Oh! Sylph amid the shrubberies of Arnheim. Oh! naiad among its fountains. And then, then all is mystery and terror. A tale which should not be told. Disease, a fatal disease, fell like the simoon upon her frame. And even while I gazed upon her, the spirit of change swept over her, pervading her mind, her habits, and her character, and in a manner the most subtle and terrible, disturbing even the identity of her person. Alas! the destroyer came and went, and the victim, where was she, I knew her not, or knew her no longer as Berenice."
2: She got sick. When when uh, when I first read him saying, Berenice, Berenice, I thought of Kramer going, <laughs> Pam, <laughs> Pam. You remember that one? Yeah. Uh, all
0: right, so Berenice isn't doing so hot all of a sudden.
2: No. It happened like that, too. Yeah. Among the numerous train of maladies superinduced by that fatal and primary one which affected a revolution of so horrible a kind in the moral and physical being of my cousin, may be mentioned as the most distressing and obstinate in its nature, a species of epilepsy not unfrequently terminating in trance itself, trance very nearly resembling positive dissolution, and from which her manner of recovery was in most instances startlingly abrupt. In the meantime, my own disease, for I have been told that I should call it by no other appellation, my own disease then grew rapidly upon me, and assumed, finally, a monomaniac character of a novel and extraordinary form, hourly and momently gaining vigor, and at length obtaining over me the most incomprehensible ascendancy. This monomania, if I must so term it, consisted in a morbid irritability of those properties of the mind in metaphysical science termed the attentive. It is more than probable that I am not understood." But I fear, indeed, that it is in no matter possible to convey to the mind of the merely general reader an adequate idea of that nervous intensity of interest with which, in my case, the powers of meditation, not to speak technically, busied and buried themselves in the contemplation of even the most ordinary objects of the universe. So now he's becoming obsessive about Just things. Anything. Transfixed on things. But like he can't even get across how obsessed he becomes. Monomania. All right.
0: To muse for long, unwearied hours with my attention riveted to some frivolous device on the margin or in the topography of a book, to become absorbed for the better part of a summer's day in a quaint shadow falling a slant upon the tapestry or upon the door, to lose myself for an entire night in watching the steady flame of a lamp or the embers of a fire to dream away whole days of the perfume of a flower to repeat monotonously some common word until the sound by dint of frequent repetition ceased to convey any idea whatever to the mind everyone does that
2: yeah it's um, called uh, Vujia De
0: awesome to lose all sense of motion or physical existence by means of absolute bodily quiescence long and obstinately persevered in Such were a few of the most common and least pernicious vagaries induced by a condition of the mental faculties, not indeed altogether unparalleled, but certainly bidding defiance to anything like analysis or explanation.
2: You did good. That was a tough one.
0: Thanks. He sounds like an opium head. (laughs) You know,
2: he's like, and by the way, I'm high (laughs) as a kite right now. I'm staring at a lamp for two days. Yet let me not be misapprehended. This due, earnest, and morbid attention thus excited by objects in their own nature frivolous must not be confounded in character with that ruminating propensity common to all mankind and more especially indulged in by persons of ardent imagination. It was not even, as might be at first supposed, an extreme condition or exaggeration of such propensity, but primarily and essentially distinct and different, In the one instance, the dreamer, enthusiast, being interested by an object usually not frivolous, imperceptibly loses sight of this object in a wilderness of deductions and suggestions issuing therefrom, until, at the conclusion of a daydream, often replete with luxury, he finds the incedimentum or first cause of his musings, entirely vanished and forgotten. In my case, the primary object was invariably frivolous, although assuming, through the medium of my distempered vision, a refracted and unreal importance. Few deductions, if any, were made, and those few pertinaciously returning in upon the original object as a center. The meditations were never pleasurable, and at the termination of the reverie, the first cause, so far from being out of sight, had attained that supernaturally exaggerated interest, which was the prevailing feature of the disease. In a word, the powers of mind more particularly exercised were, with me, As I have said before, the attentive, and are with the daydreamer, the speculative.
0: Anything? Thoughts?
2: No, he's just going on to say it was really serious stuff. They'd like to really describe things back then. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: My books at this epoch, if they did not actually serve to irritate the disorder, partook. It will be perceived largely in their imaginative and inconsequential nature, of the characteristic qualities of the disorder itself. I will remember, among others, the Tristus of the noble Italian Colius Secundus Curio, the Amplitudin Beate Regni Dei, St. Austin's great work, The City of God, and Trillium di Carne Christi, in which the paradoxical sentence Mortus est Dei, Filius, Credible esquia quia Es sepultus resurrect exit. Certum esquia impossibile est. Nice. Occupied my undivided time for many weeks of laborious and fruitless investigation. So he's getting hung up on these phrases from the books. Yeah. Like I am. The Latin. Thus it will appear that, shaken from its balance only by trivial things, my reason bore resemblance to that ocean crag spoken of by Ptolemy Hephaestion, which steadily resisting the attacks of human violence and the fiercer fury of the waters and the kinds, trembled only the touch of the flower, called Asphodel. And although to a careless thinker it might appear a matter beyond doubt that the alteration produced by her unhappy malady and the moral condition of Berenice would afford me many objects for the exercise of that intense and abnormal meditation whose nature I have been at some trouble in explaining. Yet such was not in any degree the case. In the lucid intervals of my infirmity, her calamity indeed gave me pain, and taking deeply to the heart that total wreck of her fair and gentle life, I did not fall to ponder frequently and bitterly upon the wonder-working means by which so strange a revolution had been so suddenly brought to pass. But these reflections partook not of the idiosyncrasy of my disease, and were such as would have occurred, under similar circumstances, to the ordinary mass of mankind. True to its own character, my disorder reveled in less important but more startling changes wrought in the physical frame of Berenice, and the singular and most appalling distortion of her personal identity. During the brightest days of her unparalleled beauty, most surely I had never loved her, and the strange anomaly of my existence, feelings with me, had never been of the heart, and my passions always were of the mind, Through the gray of the early morning, among the trellis-shadows of the forest at noonday, and in the silence of my library at night, she had flitted by my eyes, and I had seen her, not as a living and breathing Berenice, but as the Berenice of a dream, not as a being of the earth, earthy, but as the abstraction of such a being, not as a thing to admire, but to analyze, not as an object of love, but as the theme of the most abstruse, although... Desultory speculation. And now, now I shuddered in her presence and grew pale at her approach, yet bitterly lamenting her fallen and desolate condition, I called to mind that she had loved me long, and in an evil moment I spoke to her of marriage. I'm getting oddly, uh, Madonna-esque here with my English.
2: Does she uh, speak strangely?
0: Uh, you know, when she married Guy Ritchie, all of a sudden she started talking like Madonna. Oh, yeah, that's right. not like she was from Queens or yeah, wherever she from. you're not
2: supposed to do that. you got to remember who you are, you know? Agreed. And at length the period of our nuptials was approaching when, upon an afternoon in the winter of the year, one of those unseasonably warm, calm, and misty days which are the nurse of the beautiful Halcyon, I sat, and sat, as I thought, alone in the inner apartment of my library, But uplifting my eyes, I saw that Berenice stood before me. Was it my own excited imagination, or the misty influence of the atmosphere, or the uncertain twilight of the chamber, or the gray draperies which fell around her figure, that caused in it so vacillating and indistinct an outline? Or was it all the opium (laughs) and absinthe? (laughs) He likes to have a lot of different ideas to choose from. Sure. I could not tell. She spoke no word. I, not for worlds, could I have uttered a syllable. An icy chill ran through my frame, a sense of insufferable anxiety oppressed me, a consuming curiosity pervaded my soul, and sinking back upon the chair, I remained for some time breathless and motionless, with my eyes riveted upon her person. Alas! its emaciation was excessive, and not one vestige of the former being lurked in any single line of the contour. My burning glances at length fell upon the face. The forehead was high and very pale and singularly placid, and the once jetty hair fell partially over it, and overshadowed the hollow temples with innumerable ringlets, now of a vivid yellow, and jarring discordantly in their fantastic character with the reigning melancholy of the countenance. The eyes were lifeless, and lusterless, and seemingly pupilless, and I shrank involuntarily from their glassy stare to the contemplation of the thin and shrunken lips." They parted, and in a smile of peculiar meaning, the teeth of the changed Berenice disclosed themselves slowly to my view. Would to God that I had never beheld them, or that having done so, I had died.
0: Berenice is in bad shape here. So is the guy. The shutting of the door disturbed me, and looking up, I found that my cousin had departed from the chamber. But from the disordered chamber of my brain had not, alas, departed, and would not be driven away the white and ghastly spectrum of the teeth, not a speck on their surface, not a shade on their enamel, not an indenture in their edges. But what that period of her smile had sufficed to brand in upon my memory. I saw them now even more unequivocally than I beheld them then. The teeth the teeth They were here and there and everywhere "'invisibly and palpably before me, "'long, narrow, and excessively white, "'with the pale lips writhing about them, "'as in the very moment of their first terrible development. "'Then came the full fury of my monomania, "'as I struggled in vain against its strange and irresistible influence. "'In the multiplied objects of the external world "'I had no thoughts but for the teeth. "'For these I longed with a frenzied desire. "'All other matters and all different interests "'became absorbed in their single contemplation.' They, they alone were present to the mental eye, and they and their soul individuality became the essence of my mental life. I held them in every light. I turned them in every attitude. I surveyed their characteristics. I dwelt upon their peculiarities. I pondered upon their confirmation. I mused upon the alteration in their nature. I shuddered as I assigned to them an imagination, a sensitive and sentient power, and even when unassisted by the lips... A capability of moral expression. Boy, he's losing it. <laughs> of Madsel Salé has been well said. Que tu pas, un chien, des And of Bernice, I more seriously believed. Quetou tu tien, des idées. <laughs> des idées. <laughs> and I believe that translates to something like. The ideas? the
2: ideas all of his ideas were of the teeth something like that and he just had to say it in french didn't he well it's like fact this that is he's... this isn't that good so i'm going to make <laughs> i'm going to write it in french if,
0: i went to a french speaker in the office and they're like dude this is really like hard to translate so
2: if anyone knows that please send it do you want to read it again that part the line sure quoi tu sais pas
0: etien des sentiments Gettu said den, Etiens, Daisy days, Daisy days. All right. Ah, here was the idiotic thought that destroyed me. these days. Ah, therefore, it was that I coveted them so madly. I felt that their possession could alone ever restore me to peace and giving me back to reason.
2: So, Chuck, what's going on here? Like, there's teeth now? He's He's got teeth and he's focused on the teeth? Well, no,
0: the teeth are in her mouth. She is disintegrating physically except for her teeth, which remain perfect. Okay. So now he is hyper-focused and obsessed with her teeth because they're so perfect.
2: I would be hyper-focused. I'm running out of the room at this I point. too. Okay. <clears throat> and the evening closed in upon me thus, and then the darkness came, and tarried, and went, and the day again dawned and the mists of a second night were now gathering around and still i sat motionless in that solitary room and still i sat buried in meditation and still the phantasma of the teeth maintained its terrible ascendancy as with the most vivid hideous distinctness it floated amid the changing lights and shadows of the chamber at length there broke in upon my dreams a cry of horror and dismay and thereunto after a pause succeeded the sound of troubled voices intermingled with many low moanings of sorrow or pain. I arose from my seat and, throwing open one of the doors of the library, saw standing out in the antechamber a servant maiden, all in tears, who told me that Berenice was no more. She had been seized with epilepsy in the early morning, and now, at the closing in of the night, the grave was ready for its tenant, and all the preparations for the burial were completed. So Berenice is dead? Yes. Okay. I found myself sitting in the library, and again sitting there alone. It seemed that I had newly awakened from a confused and exciting dream. I knew that it was now midnight, and I was well aware that since the setting of the sun Berenice had been interred. But of that dreary period which intervened I had no positive, at least no definite comprehension. Yet its memory was replete with horror, horror more horrible from being vague, and terror more terrible from ambiguity. There was a fearful page in the record, my existence, written all over with dim and hideous and unintelligible recollections. I strived to decipher them, but in vain, while ever and anon, like the spirit of a departed sound, the shrill and piercing shriek of a female voice seemed to be ringing in my ears. I had done a deed. What was it? I asked myself the question aloud, and the whispering echoes of the chamber answered me. What was it? All
0: right, so he's awoken from a fever dream, and he's like, "Something I've, I've done something here while I slept that's, yeah. that ain't good. Yeah. What was it? On the table beside me burned a lamp, and near it lay a little box. That can't be good. <laughs> it was of no remarkable character, and I had seen it frequently before... For it was the property of the family physician, but how it came there upon my table, and why did I shudder in regarding it? These things were in no manner to be accounted for, and my eyes at length dropped to the open pages of a book, and to the sentence underscored therein. The words were the singular but simple ones of the poet, Eben Zayat. My companion said to me, if I would visit the grave of my friend, I might somewhat alleviate my worries. Why then, as I perused them, did the hairs of my head erect themselves on end, and the blood of my body become congealed within my veins? There came a light tap at the library door, and as pale as the tenant of the tomb, a menial entered upon tiptoe. His looks were wild with terror, and he spoke to me in a voice tremulous, husky, and very low. What said he? Some broken sentences I had heard. He told of a wild cry disturbing the silence of the night, of the gathering together of the household of a search in the direction of the sound, and then his tones grew thrillingly distinct as he whispered me of a violated grave, of a disfigured body enshrouded, yet still breathing, still palpitating, still
2: alive he pointed to garments they were muddy and clotted with gore i spoke not and he took me gently by the hand it was indented with the impressive human nails he directed my attention to some object against the wall i looked at it for some minutes it was a spade With a shriek, I bounded to the table and grasped the box that lay upon it, but I could not force it open, and in my tremor it slipped from my hands and fell heavily and burst into pieces, and from it, with a rattling sound, there rolled out some instruments of dental surgery, intermingled with thirty-two small, white, and ivory-looking substances that were scattered to and fro about the floor. The end.
0: Wow. That's, Guy, I just got a little chill, actually, and I knew the
2: ending. He liked his teeth. Did he dig her up or was she still alive? I don't know. I was thrown off by the fact that... Um, Those the, shrieking woman. Yeah. She's still palpitating, as it were. Still I, alive.
0: I think he hallucinated the whole thing in that she did not die and was buried. I think he went into her chamber and removed her teeth while she was alive.
2: Or maybe he, while he was in his little opium dream... hmm buried her alive, uh, then decided, yeah. oh, yeah, the teeth, went back, right. got them out of her mouth yeah. while she's still alive, and took them back to the library. <laughs> I think he needs to lay off the dope is what it comes down to. Yeah. So, happy Halloween. I hope everybody um, is appropriately nervous now, right?
0: Yeah. And if you have ideas on, uh, on uh,
2: royalty-free uh, readings that we can do next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll bring this up again like in August or something like that. Agreed. Um, so stick around. We are not going anywhere just yet. We have a special, you could almost call us a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part is a special guest, right? That's We're right. not going to do listener mail or anything. We're going to do this. That's right. Happy Halloween, everybody. So since this is a Halloween episode, and since, um, as you may remember from Tuesday, uh, John Hodgman has been hanging around the office this week. I saw him sleeping in a cubicle I earlier. Know, I know. It's weird. Yeah. Um, we I, got locked,
1: I got locked out of my. Oh, he's here again. Of my uh, safe room. room. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Hodgman, how you doing? Was. I don't get a. I don't get like the chimes. Well, well, I I, I I haven't finished the introduction
2: yet. We're not doing listener mail this week because it's special. It was this was a Halloween episode, and because Hodgman's here, yeah. So instead, we're going to do um, stuff with John Hodgman. That's right. And the reason, well, the
0: reason John's here is because he decided to surprise us, and he had a ticket to the show. Yep. We decided to honor
1: that ticket. Yep. Look. I feel bad. I feel a little bad about last week because I came in and interrupted Sarah's letter. That was Ooh, weird. That was and those safe. letters. That was this week. Whatever it was. We took care of Sarah. Yeah. Don't you worry about You know what? I don't, I don't pay attention to time anymore. I'm a deranged millionaire. Okay. okay. I like Sarah. I like the letters she writes. I like all the letters. Mm-hmm. But I'm a listener, too. You know, that's why I'm here. Yeah. And what am I going to have my say? Do you, you know what I mean? Do and you, no
0: one ever comes in to do their listener mail in person, like you. You bought a ticket to do so.
1: I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have access. It's time for me to have my say. Here's my <laughs> listener mail. All right. Nice work, guys. Thank, Thank
2: you. Thank you. That's nice listener mail. Edgar like Allen Poe, huh? Yeah, I. That was
1: Chuck's. Well, that, no, that was Poe. That <laughs> <laughs> was not mine. You say it was Poe It was Poe I say it was Poe <laughs> No, I like Edgar Allan Poe, fine. Well, yeah, you got to like him. You know, guys, I I wrote this new book of complete world knowledge called That Is All that's coming out. And this is the third book of complete world knowledge. And in my previous books of complete world knowledge, I talked about everything, right? I talked about um, how to tie all kinds of knots. No, I never did. (laughs) For some reason, I think I did.
2: That was so close. I I almost said like, Yeah.
1: I talked about hobos. I talked about mole men. I talked about the presidents of the United States. Mm-hmm. I talked about the the mottos and uh, and nicknames of all fifty one American states. I talked about history. I talked about the future. But there was one topic that I never took on before, and that was sports. Yeah. Because I am not a sports fan.
2: See, I, I find that surprising.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. Well, you and I co-hosted a trivia event at Max FunCon, and yeah. We did our own little fun trivia team where... Elijah one. Right. I did some sports questions yeah, that you were not privy to. To and humiliate me. You did some science fiction movie questions. questions that I... Because I'm not into
1: that. You did jock questions to humiliate me. Yes. And I did nerd questions to humiliate you. And it went great. It went great. We were both humiliated. That's right. And that is usually the sign of a good night. <laughs> yes, it is. But here's the thing. For this third book, because we are reaching the end of human civilization, December 21st, 2012...
2: At eleven eleven a.m.
1: exactly, and it's and it's time for me to in, engage in, well, like like the dying person, I I reach out to that which I previously spurned in life, mm-hmm. like religion mm-hmm. and sports. Right. So I I decided to to learn a lot about sports and to to write about sports in this new book, and one of the things I learned, which I didn't know, until now, you guys probably know this, that the Baltimore Ravens is named after the Edgar Allan Poe poem. The yeah, Raven, right? See, I, I didn't, that, know, I didn't know that. Actually. You didn't know that. No. I didn't know that. I knew that. And now that makes more sense. I didn't realize why they had Edgar Allan Poe as their mascot. Right. Uh, they had uh, the, some dude dressed up as yeah, uh, in like nineteenth century, <laughs> and he's no, he's got the, one of those big heads on, like a big Edgar Allan Poe head. Right. I was like, why is that? And then I finally got it. Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, apparently got ruinously drunk in Baltimore, as he did in every East Coast city yeah. <laughs> for a period of time. They all, for some reason, claim him as their son. We'll like mm-hmm. Philadelphia, New York, ba- uh, Brooklyn, Baltimore. Providence. Providence. And, uh, but only Baltimore had the nerve to name their team after a famous quasi-literary kind of dumb-dumb poem that the French really like. <laughs> And they have this mascot, which is great. Now I understand why yeah. they have that mascot. Uh-huh. This dude dressed up as Edgar Allan Poe with a giant Edgar Allan Poe head on top of him that's filled with brandy. Now it yeah. makes sense.
0: And John Cusack, to bring it full circle, is playing Poe in a movie. I know. Which is a little weird. He's
1: only the latest who wanted to, to play Edgar Allan Poe, of, of course. Sure. Sylvester Stallone was developing an Edgar Allan Poe really? biopic for years. <laughs> for years. For years. You didn't know that? Foreigner was going to do the theme song. (laughs) (laughs) They wrote Eye of the Tiger for that movie. That was Survivor. Oh, sorry. Foreigner feels like the first Poe. I I apologize. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Survivor. Right. They wrote Eye of the Tiger for the Edgar Allan Poe movie, but when it didn't get made, they used it for Rocky III instead. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sports and more sports. Punching is a sport, right? Pugilism, (laughs) that is a thinking man's sport. Oh, no, I agree. That's the sweet science. That's the... That's the that's the intricate uh, logical art of hurting someone in the right, face. Exactly. <laughs> I <hit it>. Wow! <laughs> oh,
2: wow. Hold on, you're leaving out a big element. Right. You're trying to not get hurt in your own face. Right. That's practically. You're ba- doing two things at once.
1: Yeah, that's 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 ballet. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's in, that's an intricate dance. That's like ultimate fighting. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Two half-naked guys down on the ground trying to knee fighting. each other in the neck. <laughs> yeah. That's that's acrobatic. I see
2: you at a boxing match, though, Hodgman.
1: I was in a boxing match. And I've seen that. And yes, TV. you were. In, uh, I was with, in a fake. Uh, I was in a fake boxing match.
2: Was that choreographed? Was that staged? It looked a lot like the directors like you two just go at each other. and We'll see what happens.
1: This was in a, in an episode of Bored to Death.
2: Right, with uh, you you boxed Jason Schwartz.
1: I did. Yeah, oh. and uh, and I I realized then that it is an extremely physically taxing thing to do. I sure. don't. I do not mean to. Run down boxers in the least because first they, of all, they will kill me. <laughs> Second of all, what they do, they are, they are extremely accomplished athletes. Oh, yeah. I have no problem with athletes. You understand? Sure. I, I think they're, they're incredibly skilled people whom I wish only not to hurt me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but they are artists in their, in their own way. And I don't even dislike sports per se. Like there are some sports that I occasionally will watch. I dig a curling match from time to time. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any sport with a broom, I like. It's uh it is the presupposition in our culture that everyone must like sports, and that if you do not know what the sports teams are or what they do on the field, and something is wrong with you. Then you are abnormal yeah. in some way, and I think that that's a little bit that, that presumes too much.
0: Well, John, that's the world we live in,
1: but it's changing. Now Baltimore got the Ravens in what nineteen ninety six or seven or something like that. Yes, sir. Okay, so they named their team after a poem, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, no big deal, not a big, <laughs> not a big deal. Who cares, right? But this year, we got some baseball. What's the baseball player who named his the bat Orchest? I didn't know that happened. Yeah, oh, it's on. It's in the news. Oh yeah, someone will write about it and send it in. Okay, it was. It was this April. It was revealed that a very popular baseball player <laughs> named his bat Orchrist after one of the elven forged swords in The Hobbit. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Right? And then, guess what? Have you noticed this? Have you noticed Nick Mangold, the center for the New York Jets? Yeah. Have you noticed like he's not wearing a helmet anymore? <laughs> I have not noticed that. It's surprising to me. He came out in one of the games earlier this year, he was wearing a, a leather top hat with like goggles on it. Did you notice that? I did not notice that on the field. On the field. Wow. Yeah. Why? I don't know, but it's weird. And then and then another time he came out and he was wearing a pith helmet with uh, with a jeweler's lens on it.
0: That saw And he came out on
1: protection. the he came out on the field on a uh, on a on a, uh, a penny Farther bicycle. What is going on? Are you? What? It was a steam-powered f- penny farthing bicycle. Wow! Which
2: was it of his own design and uh, yeah. manufacture?
1: Yeah. Wow! And then he went on a sports program, a radio program, much like this. This is radio, right? Yeah, sure. It's Kind of. of. And uh, and he was sa- and he was saying, "I'm really glad we won that game." And uh, I think, and they said, "Well, what do you think? How do you how do you what how, to what do you attribute your win?" And he said, "I just took the lesson of Admiral Akbar to heart and realized that they were setting a trap." Is that weird?
2: That is that weird. Is very weird. What do you What do you think's going on there? I think
1: this is it, guys. I think this is this is happening.
2: Is this the beginning?
1: The beginning of the nerd jock convergence. You see it all around us. Wow. I think Nick Mangold may be the one. Yeah, it's the person like... who's going to join these two worlds together. Yeah. He's doing steampunk cosplay. <laughs> He's quoting Admiral Ackbar. Yeah. He's riding a penny farthing. A penny farthing mo- uh, b- uh, motorcycle, not just a steam-powered <laughs> penny farthing motorcycle of his own design. And I recently, you know, how my my Zeppelin, Hubris, mm-hmm. is in, in ruins. The H Z Hubris. The H C Hubris, Adrian Zeppelin's Hubris. <laughs> uh, it, I but I just got an offer on it. Did you know that? I didn't know <laughs> that. That weird. I mean, it's still crashed. It's still, I think parts of it are still burning in Central Park. Right this now. happened since Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, maybe you heard, this person heard the podcast. I don't know what it is, but it, the offer came in as a good offer too from man gold steampunk industries. <laughs> huh.
2: It's got to be the same one <laughs> slash football. Oh, well, yeah. See, I think it might be him. Are you selling it to him as is?
1: Well, I'm not putting that thing back together. It's on fire. Okay. I burned my hands. <laughs> yes. I hope it works.
2: Where is it? Over Cheap's Meadow or?
1: I don't know. Most of the top half of Central Park. I mean, it was big. Okay. Wow. It
0: was big. Mo- most of
2: the top half. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I haven't been up there in a while. Good. It, it crashed and burned probably two years ago.
2: And still, oh yeah, it's still burning?
1: Yeah. Wow. I should do something about
2: that. Well, John, let me ask you. I mean, that seems like one of the great divisions in... Um, life in the world that's been going on forever yeah. is this division between jocks and nerds. It seems like it's a good thing if things come together, is it not?
1: I I I don't know. I don't know. It's, it, I think it's. I think like all major sea changes, it's unnerving. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think those of us.
2: I'm scared of things too.
1: I think those of us on the nerd side have been defining ourselves by our marginalization mm-hmm. for so long. But it may be hard for us to accept a world where, you know, um, that that TV show Community did a whole Dungeons and Dragons episode. Superhero movies are the only movies that people make now. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like all of the things uh, and uh, uh, now I I think at least 10 people in the United States know who Doctor Who is now. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Comic-Con is big, big business. And I think that that... All of these things that we used to hold as badges and used to comfort ourselves in our marginalization and culture are now being absorbed into, you know, the monoculture as a whole. And there is no greater uh, expression of the monoculture than jock culture, which is the great leveling, cross-cultural, unifying thing that men and a lot of women talk about, unless they're a nerd like me, Right. So when that's gone, I think that will bother nerds very much. Oh yeah, it's just nervous. Yeah, I could see that, but I don't think the jocks give a hoot at all. No, and and,
2: and no. jocks tend to get their way as far as society yeah, goes, they're gonna, right? Yeah, if they want something, if yeah. Nick Mangle wants to yeah. make steampunk hey, mainstream,
1: hey, I like your steampunk culture. Give me that nerd. That's right, mine. Yeah, right. They yeah. they take it's what mine. they want. It's mine. now. Hey, your uh, your uh, your your uh, your steampunk Iron Man uh, armor that you made yourself. That's mine now. Drop it off in my locker.
0: Throw a Jets jersey on top of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm going to put that, a Jets jersey on top of it. It's going to be steampunk Iron Man Jets. No, that's not what Nick, Nick Mangold does not talk like that at all. He's a very sweet guy. I met him. That's oh, yeah. Why I'm, that's why I hope he buys my set <laughs> So, in real life, in real life, Nick Mangold's Twitter avatar is an illustration of him as an Ewok. Really? Yeah. So you may say that what I'm putting in my book is crazy, but look around you, everybody. It's coming true. Well, John, thank you for coming
2: by with your baffling uh, prediction.
1: You don't have to thank me. It's very easy. I just walked down the hallway from my safe room.
2: Are you going to stay here because the weekend's approaching?
1: I need someone to kick down the door of my safe room because (laughs) I fell asleep in that cubicle because I I went out and I accidentally armed the system. Okay. (laughs) So if you have an intern or someone who can go in there... They will be gassed.
0: Oh no, Jerry! Yeah, she's got be... a, a foot of lead. Okay, she and can she kick it in. she can also yeah. Breathe. But there are boob,
1: but there are booby traps. There will be gas. There will be darts. There will be snakes. She's, she's fine. She's pretty good. like that. There will me. be a giant rolling boulder. Mm-hmm. She's can got we that just... covered. Good. If we get that, then I can get back in there, and then I'll be back again. Jerry
0: home. deals with us on a day to day basis. She can handle any boulders or
2: poison darts. You know what? You're right. Yeah.
1: Here's to you, Jerry.
2: We'll send Jerry in.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. I and then.
0: <laughs> so john's uh, book is that is all and it is coming out november 1st and you can pre-order it right now using the internet using the internet
1: and i hope
2: that you will
0: at a variety of internet sites
2: well you really just plugged the heck out of that chuck
1: well you know i want the guy
0: to sell a book or two
1: no, i'm just happy to be here as of a course. listener As a deranged millionaire, I'm happy to come in here and take over your listener mail segment. And as a resident of And as a resident of How Stuff Works (laughs) Plaza.
2: Well, to those of you who made it all the way through this podcast, and you're with us right now, I want to say on behalf of myself, Chuck, and Mr. John Hodgman, happy Halloween. Be safe. Please don't get hit by a car.
1: Dress your children in skeleton costumes and send them out into the street. (laughs) The end
0: be sure to check out our new video podcast stuff from the future join house to work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow brought to you by the reinvented 2012 camry it's ready are you